you're listening to the Down East Mike Podcast, the quirky little podcast from Maine. And now, your host, Down East Mike. Dee deedle dee deedle. Good morning, everybody. This is Down East Mike. You found the Down East Mike Podcast officially listed as comedy, but actually somewhere far away from comedy. We have no intentions of being funny, and if you're laughing at us, this is just cruel, because we're not supposed to be funny. This is serious stuff. So what we do is we look at things from years ago, and we look at things today, and we compare them up, line them up quite nicely, and nothing has changed whatsoever, but it's still fun to sit back and look at it all with amusement on our faces. We actually had to start this intro a couple times today because we got off track. Our voice was all scratchy. We were all off base. Uh, this is Down East Mike, episode number 67, news and commentary for December 2nd, 2022. It's Friday. Uh, our motto here is some of this is whimsy, some of this is true, and the interpretation of it all is entirely up to you. Actually, as I listen to myself this morning, I sound like that guy that would be standing next to you at the, you know, the the rummage sale, maybe standing a little bit too close, and he's talking, he's like, he's got this little bit of a little whisper-type voice, like our president does. He's got that whisper voice he deploys from time to time when he's trying to make a benevolent point. Let's look at the international headlines from around the world first. Just a quick look if you're just getting up for the day. Elon Musk finally sanctions Kanye West for anti-Jewish tweet. Uh, There's the moment that Joe Biden gives French President Macron a 42-second handshake. Nothing wrong with that. CNN is halting live programming on HLN as Chris Licht thanks Robin Mead. Or Chris Lichty. Uh, do you remember when that first came out, HLN? That was a headline news a long time ago. They kind of set that the groundwork for that. Uh, as officials ease restrictions, China faces new pandemic risks. Obama stumps for Warnock with five days left to go in the Georgia runoff. The Georgia runoff sounds like they had a flooding issue. In a sense, I guess they did. Kanye West is no longer buying parlor. I would do it again. The Florida man allegedly admits to killing mom for not pushing him to be a man. Now you go out there and be a man. That's what he wanted from his mother and he didn't get it, so he killed her. Also in Florida, DeSantis is yanking billions in investments from woke BlackRock over ESG investing. If you ever look into BlackRock, they own most everything around you. All right, uh, main headlines. Presque Isle Man dies at Maine State Prison. Maine sets a new record for hunting this season. We'll look into that maybe in another podcast. Smithfield Man is facing drug charges He's also accused by several people of defrauding them on home repair projects in central Maine. Blue crabs are now 
migrating to Maine from Chesapeake Bay. And all I could picture is a big string of crabs with their suitcases packed, marching up along the shore. Uh, rain, wind down trees and power lines and knock out power to thousands in Maine. How much more of this Maine stuff? We have some good Maine headlines today. Top Maine state police officials deny retaliating against a trooper who alleged illegal spying. Um, well, we... Two, oh, yeah, 200 lobsters were served at the White House state dinner, and they leave some Maine politicians steamed. I think it's good they served lobster there. All right, that's enough of the main headlines. Let's get right into the meat of our podcast today. In today's episode, we have the Maine's president, uh, Maine, the president's energy policy, more coal and solar. And that's from 1976. He wanted to move away from oil and go to coal and solar. Uh, an expert says color TVs from China could be appearing on U.S. soil within five years. And that was in 1976. Little did they know. The Brunswick train station goes boom. That was in 1907. Measles and diphtheria occurring in Rhode Island, 1895 on this day. There were 10,000 partridges for the pear tree in 1895. And please take me to the Pigeon Show, 1895, on this day. And then we also have Maine's bi-weekly bird. So what a great show we have ahead of us here. Uh, we don't have a word of the day or place name of the day because we have an extended podcast. We've got all this backlog material, my goodness. But birthdays we do have. Happy birthday today to John of South Portland. He turns 57. He's recently retired from the police department. John tells us he's glad he got out when he did, and he's planning to drive across the country with a friend. Happy birthday to Fiona in Jonesport. Fiona will be 50 today. She has her own podcast, actually, about her sea glass adventures. She's turned up on many a top 10 list. On this day, 1976, President Carter was laying out a lengthy blueprint for energy policy. And if he carries out all of his past energy proposals, the nation can anticipate higher natural gas prices, tight oil supplies, and the revival of the Appalachia's coal country. Carter may not get to carry them out. Congress and circumstances may change his mind or thwart his plans. In position papers and comments on energy during the campaign, however, Carter has laid out lengthy blueprints for his energy plans. The major thrust of the energy problem, Carter has argued, should be away from oil and toward coal and solar energy with heavy emphasis on con. To hold down U.S. dependence on foreign oil, Carter has proposed a quota system that would keep imports at the present 40%. And in other news on this day, uh, the expert sees the U.S. and China trade increasing sharply. The question here posed in the story was, will Americans be watching Monday Night Football on red Chinese television sets a few years from now? That's one of the intriguing questions raised 
by Barry Richman, Professor of Management and International Business at the Graduate School of Management at the University of California, UCLA. Richman, an expert on the economy of the People's Republic of China, thinks trade between the U.S. and China will increase dramatically in the next few years with color television sets, transistor radios, and other consumer electronics among the possible items being imported by this country. Oh, this guy was a visionary. You may well see color television sets from China within the next five years, Richmond said. They are producing them now, and they're talking about producing them for mass markets. If they did, they could undersell the Japanese. In fact, I think you'll see some of the same imports here that you saw after World War II from Japan and Korea. Oh, to have a Japanese-made TV that would work. Richmond, who has traveled widely in mainland China, says the recent purge of the so-called radical Chinese leaders after the death of Chairman Mao Zedong may lead to more rapid industrial growth for China under its new rulers. Interesting, they have rulers over there. And he goes on, he cites some figures here. Chinese-American trade could boost from the three uh, to the three billion to six billion dollar level. It really doesn't mean much to us today, but interesting. They were looking ahead there and seeing that. You know, right along those lines, there was actually some some pretty memorable products coming out of. Uh, well, they must have been built somewhere other than the U.S. Well, maybe, but let's look at Kmart in this day, 1976. They had a just a fantastic looking ad here for holiday sporting gifts. And you could buy, get the price of this, a 22 caliber rifle with scope. I bet the bullets came sideways out of this. Well, no, it was a mile in Glenfield. A rifle with a four power 22 caliber uh, fires 19 long rifle shells without reloading if you're plugging away at tin cans or what have you. $39.88. Oh, that was at Kmart. And you could get a Daisy pump-up air rifle for $29.97. It says four days only. BB repeater, single-shot pellet rifle. Variable power. That was $29.97. And then it says not sold where prohibited by law. So that Daisy pump-up rifle has a Monte Carlo design stock with a cheek rest. So if you get tired, you could rest your cheek against it. Then, if you needed to leave the county quickly, if you were in Hancock County or Cumberland County, you could get sturdy luggage from $7.96 to $23.88. Lightweight, long-wearing vinyl luggage soft-sided, so you can pick, uh, pack in more. Reinforced steel frame, tough brass zipper. Those are the ones when they abandon the trailer and they're out lying on the snowbank and the, uh, the reinforced steel frame has broken through the long wear and vinyl luggage and the tough brass zipper is broken. That's the one they throw away. What else would you get it came out on this day if you were wandering up and down the aisles pushing your your cart? Safe and sturdy auto ramps, 1788. 
Now that's an item I bet that really hasn't gone up in price all that much. I bet you could get some auto ramps for 50 bucks. Problem would be disposing of your oil after you changed it. White wall tires. Does anybody drive cars with white wall tires anymore? They even used to ask you that. Do you want your white walls in or out? As if that was something, as if that's like a no-brainer. Of course you want your white walls out. You want to shine, shine those and show them off. Shine and show. What else do we have here? Came out the Rayovac Sportsman Camp Lantern. And that had that big old ugly 6-volt battery that had the two sprongs on the top. And you'd pack that into your camp lantern. It was twenty four eighty eight, And as we all know, that was something that that 6-volt battery, the charge would last about, oh, if it, you know, accidentally switched on in the car on the way to the campground. By the time you got there, that would just be a dim yellow glow. And a hunting shirt for $7.97. And then, get this, Star Trek dolls. The regular was $3.38. And it was $2.78. And there's Spock and Bones, Captain Kirk, Scott, uh, Scotty. I don't know who the other one is there. The, the uh, what's his name? The, uh, the navigator, the Russian one. Nuclear Wessels, that guy. Uh, eight track player sixty four forty four in Monopoly game four dollars and forty seven cents and you know some of those are shrink wrapped somewhere okay that's all the stuff from nineteen seventy six in Brunswick on this day and this was uh, nineteen oh seven two men were killed tragically in a uh, accident at the Brunswick uh, train station just at twelve o'clock Saturday night when with a muffled roar. The east boiler at the main central station at Brunswick exploded, and a second later the walls of the building fell with a crash five minutes earlier, and the list of dead and wounded would have been appalling as the station had been crowded with people waiting to take the Pullman trains, which leave Brunswick for all parts of the state shortly before the midnight hour. Can you imagine going down to Brunswick and getting a train just before midnight back in the day? Uh, as these trains were all ready to go, practically all the passengers were on board. And after 15 minutes of search for the three missing men, it was decided to call out the fire department to assist in the work of rescue. They quickly responded and brought the total number of men engaged in the work up to fully 100. They had 100 dudes looking, searching through this for those poor souls in that uh, explosion. Uh, anything else on that we want to talk about? Let's take a look here. Oh, yes, one of the men that they were looking for, uh, Edmund Ter Terrier, they found him in the debris, and the Lewiston train was still in the station. Now, as soon as possible, the stretcher on which Terrier was lying was placed on board, and with Dr. Elliot in charge of the injured man, the train was driven at full speed to Lewiston, where the young man was taken to the sister's hospital. He was conscious all the way up to Lewiston, and although he's suffering greatly, he showed great pluck. I guess so. Isn't that interesting? They used the train to take him, uh, take him to the uh, hospital. Let's see, other news on this day. An Auburn, a young man in Auburn, William Benoit of North Main Street in Auburn. You remember him, right? A young man, 18 years of age, was arrested by the Auburn police Monday afternoon. 
he was charged with the theft of a box of coconut cakes from the factory of T.A. Houston, where he had been employed. The poor hungry boy. Benoit lives near the factory and has been employed there for some time. He's always been well regarded by his employers up until the time of the present trouble. The alleged theft took place on the 13th of November. The value is inconsiderable, but it is understood that there have been other thefts in the factory and that Benoit is suspected of being connected with them. And the warrant was sworn out by the members of the firm Monday afternoon. Benoit will have an opportunity to prove his innocence before the court Tuesday morning on that theft of coconut cakes. On this day, this is uh, December 2nd, 1908, uh, a dozen more milkmen will face prosecution, this time mostly on charges of using the Auburn pump handle warrants out on Wednesday. And a little bit on that story. Uh, another step has been taken in the campaign for pure milk in Auburn, this time the most important and real culmination of the campaign. Through the authorities, charges have been made which will result in the issuance of warrants for the arrest of nearly a dozen milk dealers selling milk in Auburn. The arrest will probably be made Thursday. It would appear that instead of resting easy after the prosecution of four milkmen whose milk showed preservation or, color, or coloring, the milkman whose milk has showed only the addition of pump juice will have to face the court and take their medicine also. So they were uh, juicing the milk. They were they were diluting it and adding adding stuff to it. I think what's astonishing there is the number of milk dealers they had. Uh, the cases to come, it is understood, will be mostly for adding water to milk. Although in one or two cases, the addition of formaldehyde, aniline orange, or preservative may be charged. That is something you don't want in your milk. Here's another little tragedy, little story from that time. Excuse me. Bound over in $2,000 bounds, the night telegraph operator and the agent's brother plead guilty. They stole many shoes from Grand Trunk Car at the Lewiston Junction, and they hid the shoes beneath the station floor, linked together by a shining handcuff on their wrists, Two well-dressed and very sober-appearing men faced Judge Manzer in the Auburn Municipal Court Wednesday afternoon, and they were bound over to the Supreme Court in the sum of $2,000 each. So that was A.A. McDonald. He's a night telegraph operator for the Grand Trunk Railroad in Lewiston. And then Guy C. Mayo, uh, brother of the station agent at the same place. They were charged with larceny of quantities of shoes from the Grand Trunk freight cars. They did plead guilty. The story of the detection of Mayo and McDonald, M&M, their arrest and the finding of a hide of shoes at Lewiston Junction is rather interesting and reveals some bold operations on the part of the thieves. Tuesday, the two men went to a Portland pawn shop with three big grips filled with new shoes which they offered to sell at prices below their factory value. Such a great deal. The inference from this was that the shoes had been stolen. The police were notified. The two men arrested. They were Mayo and McDonald. Later, they confessed to have taken the shoes from a freight car at the Lewiston Junction. The shop of Field Brothers of Auburn was notified. and It was found that they had shipped 
shut such shoes November 27th by the Grand Trunk to Chicago. City Marshal Row of Auburn with a Grand Trunk special agent was provided with an engine went at once to Lewiston Junction where they searched the whole station and vicinity and it resulted in the finding of some sides of leather roughly cut up concealed in a shed. These are thought to belong to the National Shop of Auburn. In the meantime, the Portland police telephone again, blah, blah, they went on and on here. Uh, they got the men and the three grips and came back to the Pullman. And at the Lewiston Junction, Stetson found the only pump around the station was off the ladies' room. A diligent search showed some boards that could be removed, revealing a trap door. Lifting this was brought to light a pile of new shoes lying loose, partly covered by bags. They had evidently been put there hurriedly the night before after having been taken from the car, and they're brought to Auburn where they joined the contents of the three grips. All in all, it was 60 pairs of shoes valued at $135. So you can get like one shoe for $135 today. Both McDonald and Mayo are men of their good appearance who seem to feel their position keenly. Mayo's home is in Greenfield, Greenville, Maine, but he's been at Lewiston Junction, more or less. He is the older of the two. They're unable to get bail and were committed to jail. A quick story here. Brown ta- are brown tails gone? Uh, are the brown tail moths in this part of the state becoming extinct? This is from Sabatis. Some have thought... Some have thought so uh, because since the great harvest of them two years ago, little has been heard from the prickly pest, but events of the past two weeks would indicate otherwise. Two weeks ago, the selectmen of the town of Webster met and decided to pay a small bounty, one cent each, on the brown tail nest, and the town treasurer, Mr. Judson Bangs, was made receiver of nests and disperser of payment. And since that time, Mr. Banks has paid out $75 of the town's money and has received in return 7,500 brown-tailed nests, mostly from small boys, a harvest which does not in any way indicate the total crop nor what is to come. One boy, Harry Walker, has brought in as many as 1,500 at one time, rather a profitable way of earning money. Mr. Banks has been fully occupied in counting nests and making payment. I've got two bushel baskets full at the mill now, he remarked Tuesday. Whether the town will keep on paying for nests if they continue to flow in with such freedom is a question. Uh, Tuesday on this day, or this would have been a Tuesday in this day, uh, 1895, it was possibly the warmest first day of December that was ever experienced in this town. Many thermometers registered as high as 68 to 70, and outdoor work with any abundance of clothes on was uncomfortable. One farmer says that at no time during the past month has it been cold enough so that he could not plow, and which is a remarkable record, he says. Another man says that on one of his hill fields it's too dry even now to plow, showing that the little rain which has fallen has not improved conditions wonderfully. 70 degrees in December. Uh, let's move on to, we have a story they were going to skip, and we will go right to the diphtheria scourge in Johnston, Rhode Island. And that is on, ongoing. They also had an epidemic of measles uh, prevailing at the Naval Station at Newport, Rhode Island. Already 15 cases in the hospital. 
And let's see what we else have for stories from this day in 1895. Some of the national headlines are Secretary Herbert's report of the work of the Navy Department for the fiscal year just submitted. He recommends the construction of two more battleships and at least 12 torpedo boats. He also advises the enlistment of a thousand additional men be authorized by the next Congress. Uh, a Vienna paper has received information to the effect that the entire Armenian population of Baybert, 60 miles northwest of Erzurum, has been massacred by the Lazarus Kurds. The Turkish population of Tamzera joined the Kurds in massacring the Armenians of that place. This stuff was going on back then. 62 tramps raided the city of Cumberland, Wisconsin, Saturday night, demanding food and shelter and threatening destruction to the town if refused. A posse was organized and three of the ringleaders were locked in jail. They soon broke out and another chase was given by the officers and several shots were exchanged before the tramps were recaptured. Those tramps. Uh, December begins with all of the seven leading planets in the morning sky. At sunset, not one of the planets is above the horizon, but soon they appear in the east. The distant Neptune leading the procession about 15 minutes after sunset. Jupiter follows, rising about 9 o'clock. Then there's a long interval, then comes before the other planets appear. Um, so that would be something to look at in the sky. I didn't know you could see all of them. Probably not with the naked eye. Uh, train wreck, there's all kinds of stuff. More on the Armenian massacre. Uh, open season on birds closed for this uh, year on Saturday in 1895 may truly be said to be the best season for game of this sort that may never saw. A sportsman who has been through all through Rangeley and Dead River regions, judging from his own personal observations and what he's been told by others, has not the slightest doubt that 10,000 partridges have been shot in that territory since the season opened. Other news, it's about time that the bears were denning up for the winter, but up in Lexington, around the Cary Ponds, they are reported as much more numerous than earlier in the season, and a great many have been shot and trapped in that vicinity. The moose yadding together will remain near the yard all winter unless disturbed. If a hunter comes near the yard, the animals will separate, going in all directions, a cow and her calf together, but in all other cases, no two animals together. The hunter must then take a break and follow it, which is difficult work when tracks are as numerous as they usually are about a yard. And if he keeps persistently at it for five days, in some cases not as long as that, he's sure of his moose. No moose that roams in the forest can stand continual tramping for a longer, longer time than five days. The first three days they travel swiftly and easily, but the unprotected hoofs wear down rapidly, and by the end of the third day the feet begin to bleed. In at least two days more the hoofs are entirely worn out, and the animal can go no further. He's still good for a brave fight and will make it lively for the hunter. This method of getting moose is accompanied by Considerable hardship if the hunter is not accustomed to long tramping and sleeping in a blanket on the snow, for he must, during the first of the tramp, keep it up every moment that he can see to keep the trail. But it is the noblest kind of sport. A noble sport. Track. I didn't know that Mushi had it up like deer did in the winter. Very interesting. 
There was the Boston Pigeon Show. Imagine going to a show for pigeons. Alley saw uh, all sorts and conditions of pigeons. The plebeian and the aristocratic, the blue blood and the mongrel will strut before Boston's uh, finest at the second annual show at the Boston Pigeon Association that was opening at the Horticultural Hall in Boston. And it would continue through the week. The tail and stately pouter will throw out his chest in pride. The fans display their magnificent tails. Can't read the other one. Archangels, that their ever-changing plumage, and each and every bird will, no doubt, do its best to attract attention and secure one of the many trophies offered by the Association for Excellency in the several classes. What's that trophy on your shelf? It's for the best-in-show pigeon. They go on and on about the feathers and stuff. Well, it's time for Maine's bi-weekly bird. Today we're looking at the ruffled grouse, the partridge. Ruffed grouse are the most widely distributed game bird in North America. They rank among the smaller of the 10 species of grouse native to North America with weights ranging from 17 to 25 ounces. It's a subspecies that inhabits Maine. Uh, So our subspecies here is the St. Lawrence or Canada ruffled grouse. Plumage of the ruffed grouse is subtle and beautifully marked in a way that blends remarkably with their habitat. They have a broad black band of the fan-like tail feathers and the patch of black feathers on both sides of the neck that can be expanded umbrella-like into a ruff. That's the ruffled part. There are two color phases for the rough grouse, red and gray. The gray phase is predominant in Maine. And the rough grouse are monomorphic, that is, both birds of both sexes and birds that have lost their juvenile plumage all look alike. So they're kind of a, a symbolic bird, aren't they? The most re- reliable method of determining sex of a bird is by examining its internal organs. In the field, a rough guess can be made by looking at the relative length of the tail. The female grouse has a tail about as long as her back, whereas the male's tail appears longer than his back. Can, and there's a question here. Can you tell the difference between a legally hunted ruffled grouse and the spruce grouse for which there is no open season? And the ruffed grouse lives throughout Maine. It lives all in the hardwoods, lowland hardwoods, open fields, uh, orchids. Uh, it's a small, small home range of the grouse. The good habitat must meet all food, shelter, and drumming requirements within a small area. I've heard them drumming a lot. The ruffed grouse are omnivorous. They eat green leaves, fruits, and some insects. Picky, huh? During winter, when snow covers the ground, they live almost exclusively on the dormant flower buds or catkins of aspens, birches, and cherries. Aspen is generally considered as the most important single year-round food for ruffled grouse in Maine. Grouse chicks feed on insects, a high-protein food that helps them double their weight during their first week of life. And they go on a bit. Let's look at the difference between the two. The rough grouse, when it's approached by someone on, on foot or in a vehicle, the rough grouse will frequently perk their head up like a chicken. And they commonly flush and take flight when disturbed. They may also lower their head with neck extended and run for cover. 
The spruce grouse lacks all these features. It doesn't have a broad black band around the tail. It doesn't have black rough feathers on the sides of the neck and small feathers pointing up from the top of the head. Uh, also in the spruce grouse, it generally acts very tame. It may allow a hunter or a slow moving vehicle to approach to within a few feet. Immature male spruce grouse the female is smaller but without the red eye patch. Also, the spruce grouse will crouch low to the ground when approached. When finally ready to move, will often run only a short distance and then fly only to a nearby tree. So they could have just said the spruce grouse is wicked friendly and left it at that. There's no open season on the spruce grouse. And it says... It's imperative that the hunter be certain of his or her target before discharging a firearm. Wow, I guess so. And nearly half a million rough grouse are harvested in Maine every year. 500,000, that's crazy. Didn't know there was that much. Well, that's enough on uh, killing off animals in Maine. Uh, until next time, oh, we should do the weather real quick. We'll look at the weather, and then we'll say goodbye to you. So this is Friday, December 2nd. It's currently about 31 degrees under fair skies. For today, Friday, it'll be mostly sunny with a high of 38. We're getting into the winter stuff. Saturday looks like rain with a high of 52, but they are saying rain all, mostly all day. And Sunday is sunny and 38. And then we look at Monday, uh, sunny and 41. So kind of into the winter pattern. And then looking out ahead to Tuesday, we've got some snow coming there potentially so that is our podcast for today until next time this is down east mike thanking you for listening and wishing that you and your loved ones have a day that is full of grace love and kindness we'll see you someone keep my car door i'm not so sure i want to live in maine anymore I'm driving to Vermont Where the hills are green And the people there are seldom mean Except when they're texting Gonna learn to drive my motorcycle In the snow Gonna climb those green mountains Till there's nowhere left to go Gonna paddle my canoe down the Winooski River I'm driving to Vermont I'm driving to Vermont Brattleboro, here we go Marlboro too Wilmington and Dover Jamaica, look at you I'm driving in Vermont I'm driving in Vermont I'm going to Peru And Dorset too Gonna jump into Champlain Wash away the pain Gonna learn to drive My motorcycle In the rain Gonna climb those Green mountains I'll paddle my canoe Down the Winooski River I'm driving to Vermont. I'm 
driving to Vermont. Searsburg and Grafton, Athens too. I'm driving in Vermont. Putney and Poultney, Bennington and Rupert. I'm driving in Vermont. A maple leaf just flew over my head. My motorcycle in the snow. Gonna climb those green mountains till there's nowhere left to go. Gonna paddle my canoe down the Winooski River. I'm driving in Vermont. 